I'm Damian Bulworth. Today on Fifth and Mission, an unsanctioned skateboarding event in San Francisco leads to mass arrests and accusations that police went too far in containing it. The event is known as the Dolores Hill Bomb. For more than a decade in July, skateboarders have launched themselves down the steep grade of Dolores Street to the cheers of onlookers. It's an extreme sport and a celebration of skate culture in a city known for its big hills. As you might expect, the hill bomb has produced serious injuries and even a fatality. In 2020, a cyclist died in a collision with a skateboarder. Last year's event had a sideshow and a stabbing. And neighbors have complained of property damage caused by the crowds. The city even at one point added bumps to Dolores Street to dissuade the skateboarders. Then this past weekend, skateboarders who were determined to bomb the hill clashed with city police officers who were ordered to stop them. The cops showed up in riot gear and some people shot fireworks at the officers. In the end, more than 100 people were cited or arrested, many of them juveniles, and one city supervisor criticized what he called an abuse of power by police. My guests to talk about it are Chronicle reporter Nora Mashanik, who's covered the aftermath of the event, and later I'll talk to Ryan Motzak. He's the president of the Mission Merchants Association and has been skateboarding in San Francisco since the 90s. First, Nora Mashanik. Nora, thanks for joining me. What is the Dolores Hill Bomb? The Dolores Hill Bomb is an event that's been going on for a long time. Skateboarders show up. They close down Dolores Street at the steepest part that's usually from about 18th Street to Liberty Street. They hike up to the top and just sail down on their skateboards with people standing on on the sides of the streets watching. Wipeouts happen every year. And it's really about the adrenaline. Skateboarders say that it's just the biggest rush you can get going down the steepest part of one of the steepest hills in San Francisco. It really appeals to teenagers, people who maybe are just getting into that skating scene. Needless to say, it's something that the city would definitely like to see stop, as well as local residents who live on that part of the street. Don't you live kind of over by? I do, yeah. And I I, I live on Liberty Street, so it's something that when I first moved to San Francisco, it was brought up to me as something that both represented the best and the worst of the area. There's also people who just describe it as something that represents this essential part of the city, this sort of reckless behavior that you can't fathom engaging in yourself, but you kind of don't want to see stop. So I kind of fall somewhere in between, I think. All right. Understood. But Nora, what is it that precipitated the city feeling like it needed to intervene or at least the police intervening? The last few years, there have been a few incidents that are worrisome. In 2019, you had a renowned local skateboarder fall and suffer a severe brain injury that required surgery. The following year, you had a really bad collision between a bicyclist and a skateboarder that resulted in the bicyclist dying. And then there have also been numerous collisions between both bystanders and police officers with skateboarders. So This is something that the police would like to shut down, and they've done that mostly by putting up barricades, by installing bumps along the route. Parking their police cruisers. Exactly. Yeah, parking police cruisers. Unfortunately, 
I think for skateboarders that want to participate, this only makes it a little bit more enticing. They go down different routes or they kind of wait out the police officers. This year you had people just lingering perhaps longer than police would like. So that's when police showed up this year with riot gear and attempting to disperse the crowds. And tell me about what happened then. What did witnesses describe? What did police describe? According to police and eyewitness accounts, there was a turning point that happened about two hours into the event, around 6.30 to 7 o'clock. That's when police made the decision to move from just observing the event to actually trying to disperse the crowds and get people to go home. And I think a lot of people in San Francisco and around the region are wondering what precipitated such a strong police response. I put that question to Chief of Police Bill Scott, and he said that it was around that time that people at this event started antagonizing police. Some of the unlawful behaviors he described were people setting off firecrackers or fireworks in the direction of the crowd and in the direction of police, people throwing glass bottles. There were even reports of people tagging, graffitiing public and private property, and that included two Muni light rail trains. And so police made the decision to come out in riot gear. A larger number of police officers showed up with batons, guns filled with pellets, you know, police officers in helmets. And I think that's when things really went, uh, excuse the pun, went downhill. And you had accusations from both sides, right? Police described their officers being, I think in one case, battered or assaulted. There was a muni bus that was tagged, but also witnesses describing what they called aggressive police behavior. Tell us about that. I think it really started with the first arrest, which was a 16-year-old boy. That seems to really have emboldened the crowd and made the crowd feel that they were suddenly under attack by police. From the other side of things, you have the police chief saying that while he wasn't part of this decision to start mass arrests, he supported it because of reports of gunshots, illegal fireworks. From both sides, you have accusations and both sides blaming the other for ratcheting up the tension. So ultimately, what happened with the arrests? In their attempts to disperse the crowds, police started detaining and arresting those present. In all, they arrested 32 adults and 81 teenagers. And parents have described in the days since the treatment that their teens suffered at the hands of police. They've described their teens having their hands zip-tied, being forced to stand on the pavement, not being allowed to use the bathroom, being held for hours, either on the sidewalk or in police vans. In addition, parents have said that their kids had their phones taken, so they weren't able to be in touch with their parents or caretakers who were coming to pick them up. And this apparently went on for hours well into the night. And parents have described not knowing where their kids were, not being able to contact them. We've heard stories of kids being held in vans or being driven to the local police station while their parents were watching. And their parents say they just weren't able to intervene and take them home. Nora, that response and those mass arrests were condemned by some people who were there, some other residents, and a couple of city leaders and advocates. What are the critics saying about what happened? There has been really wide condemnation of the police response People saying that it was over the top, that it was unnecessary, and that it was a provocation. 
I think the the loudest voice here has been Supervisor Dean Preston, who really came out right away saying that police overreacted and just simply should not have done these arrests. So he's been the loudest critic, but there's others as well, including the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund, a DC nonprofit, saying that they're going to start crowdsourcing legal funds to defend the teenagers that were arrested. So now that this is over, Nora, I mean, how has this perhaps changed the citywide view of this event, the Dolores Hill bomb? Supervisor Raphael Mandelman, whose district includes that area, has hinted he would support banning the event completely in future years. Where's this conversation likely to go next? I think that remains to be seen. I think banning the event, from my perspective anyway, would only make it more enticing. You have to remember the people who participate in this are teenagers. I think you have to really consider the psychology of the people participating. Again, these are teenagers. So the more the city cracks down, I think the more exciting it's going to be for people who want to fly down these hills. It's reckless. It's scary. You might wipe out. You might get hurt. I think if the city really wants to shut this down, the best thing they can do is just make it a city-sanctioned event. You have to sign up. You get a badge. You sign a waiver. I guarantee you no one will show up to that. Nora Mashanik, thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break on Fifth Admission. When we come back, my next guest is Ryan Matzek, the president of the Mission Merchants Association, who's been skateboarding in San Francisco since the 1990s. You're listening to Fifth Admission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, Or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. We've been talking about the Dolores Hill bomb skateboarding event that led to mass arrests over the weekend in San Francisco. My next guest is Ryan Matzek. He's the president of the Mission Merchants Association. He's been involved in the local skateboarding industry, and he's been skateboarding himself in San Francisco since the 1990s. Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Ryan, how does hill bombing fit into skate culture? Sometimes when I watch the videos, including in San Francisco, it looks like skiing on a black diamond run, but with cement instead of snow if you fall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a major part of skate culture. I don't advise it for uh, beginners. I think uh, start on the bunny slope first, kind of like when you're out in the snow. It's a thrill like none other. It has its risks, but um, there's a certain feeling of freedom that's I can't compare it to anything else. I'm no spring chicken, so I have to kind of tame myself a little bit. But there, there's a certain feeling that you get, and I, and I try to like tote that line between going to a speed that I can't control and uh, that that fine moment of comfort where I'm feeling just right. All right. So I, I'm, I'm wondering how you do control that speed. I was reading a feature in Thrasher Magazine by Adam Cregan. He wrote, when the descent gets hectic, do you jump off early and take your guaranteed lumps or do you ride it out to glory yet risk a slam 10 times worse? I mean, at some point, are you going too fast to slow down? There's definitely a certain speed where you can't really slow down anymore and you just have to ride it out. I've been there before a few times when I was a lot younger and it's uh, quite scary there's also a thrill when you're right away from it. I'm a big believer in not taking it to that edge. And if my, my rule is if I can't, what's called a power slide, that's how you check yourself on speed. If I'm going too fast to where I can't power slide and there's no clear uh, flat in sight, I won't do it. 
Um, and I also don't go into traffic or bust through uh, stop signs or stoplights unless I have uh, what we call spotters. And that's people that kind of keep an eye out for cars and whatnot. All right. Ryan, in terms of skate culture in San Francisco, can you describe it? Can you summarize it? Is it unique? And, and what role has San Francisco played in larger skate culture everywhere? I might be biased, but I would say that uh, I think San Francisco skate culture is maybe the foundation of skateboarding. Uh, you know, there's L- L.A. culture and there's a whole, you know, history of Venice Beach skating and whatnot. But there's something about the mid-90s and skateboarding in San Francisco that's forever cemented into, like, the history and, and like, the culture of skateboarding. Today, currently, skateboarding in San Francisco is still huge and maybe the most alive and well as it's ever been. People around the world recognize San Francisco as kind of like the mecca of skateboarding. And what about stigma? I mean, skateboarding has long been stigmatized. I mean, it's it's part of the allure. Skateboarding is not a crime. We all know the the slogan. But now that it's seen this surge of, of popularity in, uh, in recent years, is that still true? Is it still stigmatized in your mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a stigma in skateboarding. And I think stuff like it being in movies and being on television and, you know, there's Street League, X Games, the Olympics. But there's still this, like, look that you get when you're pushing down the street. Some people, are they see the smile on your face and they cheer you on. Others seem really upset to hear the sound of the wheels on the cement. And and I've even had people make statements like, well, we're, you know, I actually pay taxes and this and that. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I, I guess I don't pay taxes. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so there's just like this this idea that if you're a skateboarder, then you're just like kind of like a flunky and you you don't deserve like a place in society. There's all kinds of varying opinions about skateboarding from those that aren't really clued in on the culture. I mean, we talked about the danger. Is is the sort of uh, underground nature of it also a little bit alluring? I I, I was driving on uh, Franklin Street a couple years ago. Uh, maybe this was you, but there was a a group of skateboarders towing up Fr- Franklin Street. Maybe you've seen that, but I was like, wow, that's that's something. I've towed on a car too, uh, but sometimes it's like the car is like happy to do it. I don't. I, I really don't do that anymore, just because I don't. I don't know. I don't like to mess with people. Or I just kind of leave people alone. I do like the fact that, you know, it's not a mainstream sport. There's no coach that tells you exactly what you're supposed to do. It's a freedom of expression. I consider it an art form more than a sport. Skateboarding really works you. It works your mind. And it's a really amazing creative outlet. And and there's a feeling of freedom like none other. I meant to ask you about San Francisco's hills. I mean, how how much are San Francisco's hills a part of this culture? A major part. It's like going up to... uh, you know, Tahoe for skateboarding. I mean, that's a major part of it. And I think that's, I think the hills are just a lure for people in general to see all the sights and views. But for skateboarding, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of like the interest and, and the fun of skating. Of course, of course. Uh, Ryan, I want to ask you, the 90s was typically seen as a golden age for skate culture. So where are we now in San Francisco? And what do you wish residents would understand about skateboarders? The way that skateboarders were treated in the 90s was a lot, I I believe, you know, other than like recent events, I believe it was a lot harsher. I've been wrongfully jailed. I've been wrongfully arrested. I've been tackled. I've had my board confiscated just for carrying it. Now I feel like there's a little more understanding and acceptance. I think that if there was better communication between, you know, the general public, 
authorities, et cetera, to skateboarders and the skateboarding community, I think there would be a better understanding. I think it can go both ways as well. But I think that people often assume the worst in certain situations rather than saying, how can we navigate this? How can we like de-escalate this or deflate this situation without having it turn it into a, a kind of an ugly matter? And I think it just comes down to understanding that when people are out skating, they're not out there with the intention of destroying and vandalizing and, and wrecking the town. It's a creative expression. There's also not a lot of places to do it. If you look at tennis courts and basketball courts versus places to skate, uh, you'll see that there's a huge difference in how many places there are to do certain activities versus skateboarding. And I think if there could be an understanding of like, hey, can we all come to the table and have a discussion about you know, what's right for everyone, I, I think we'd be in a better spot. Ryan, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how this Dolores Hill bomb unfolded this past weekend. I think it was a prime example of us versus them. I, I, I really do. When we talked about the stigmatization of skateboarding, there is this us versus them mentality. There's people that come at skateboarders with a calm and rational, like, hey, let's talk this through, let's figure this out. And then there's your scum you don't belong here, and we're going to do everything to stop you from what you're doing. And I, I can say confidently, there was no outreach to the skateboarding community, and I'm very involved in the skateboarding community. There was no outreach from you know, city officials, SFPD, or anyone to say, hey, we're really worried about this situation that's about to happen. Can we find a way to deflate this, to escalate it? Can we sanction it? Can, can there be any sort of order or balance? And I believe that the way that it was handled really created this us versus them mentality and it painted both communities in a really bad light. It painted law enforcement as like the military and as the no fun club. I can't remember the last time I've seen arrests at the scale as I've seen this recent hill bomb. Um, on the other side, you know, I, I understand that like you see a lot of people out, maybe some were not doing you know, what they should have been doing. There could have been fireworks or other acts of vandalism, but it felt like it was a giant trap set. And almost like, we're going to use this as an example, and I'm like, man, I haven't seen any sort of example set like that in a long time in this city. Why start here? Why did it start with the skateboarding community? Why did it start with a bunch of kids? If you just go for a walk around San Francisco, you might see some pretty, pretty interesting stuff. And a lot of the times, there's no law enforcement anywhere in sight. But they showed up to skateboarding, to let the kids know that you're not having fun today. But I feel like all that could have been avoided had there been communication and middle ground. So that's my stance. Ryan, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporter Nora Mishanik and Ryan Motzek, the president of the Mission Merchants Association. Special thanks to Belinda Mann for providing some of the clips that were used in this program. Thanks to Keith Menconi for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.